this is probably going to be a surprising position. I think comedians might be the closest thing we have to modern day prophets. I think Ooh, that's uh, a very interesting answer. I this think is a very, okay. I'm curious to hear what you have to say here. What's up, guys? I'm here to tell you this episode is brought to you by CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a new, fast-growing, tech-enabled, well-capitalized, community-powered alternative to traditional health insurance. Founded by Andy Schoonover, a proven founder and entrepreneur with a successful track record, including a $100 million-plus exit. By the way, Andy's been on this podcast in the past. CrowdHealth uses the power of crowdfunding, member ratings, unlimited choice and huge cash pay discounts to provide a simple, considerably less expensive solution to managing your medical bills. CrowdHealth gives you full agency and sticks with you no matter where you move or what jobs you take on. You've heard of Big Pharma, but you may not know Big Insurance is actually the man behind the curtain. With 12 of the last 15 heads of the FDA taking jobs in Big Pharma and 64% of its funding coming from private industry, don't hold your breath waiting for the government to save the day. It's safe to say our system's broken. It's time to take your well-being into your own hands, and CrowdHealth helps you do just that. You'll pay into your individual account monthly, and if you ever want to leave, you'll simply pay a $250 closing fee, and they will return the entire balance in your account to you because it's your account. Because it's crowdfunded, we all have a vested interest in each other's health. They even cover up to $300 a year in routine wellness visits. So far, for every $100 members have paid into their accounts, an average of only $30 has been paid out. So you can expect to see your money grow in your account over time. Take that, big insurance. Join today by visiting joincrowdhealth.com and using the promo code KLP to pay only $99 a month for the first three months. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code KLP. Joincrowdhealth.com, get you some. We're good to go? Audio and video? All right, all right, want to capture this. If the storm starts rolling too bad and we think the power is going to cut out, then we'll just wrap it up. That way we at least can keep what we have until that point. So That'll make for a fun moment, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The apocalypse episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we'll call this one. Man, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I know you're super busy. I also know you have this high-capacity output, which not everyone has, mm. and uh, the ability to, like, you know, put things, at whether that's writing or teaching or um you definitely have that, and so I know your time is really uh, valuable. Thanks, so you man. drove all the way up here from Spring Hill? Uh, yeah, that's right. Spring Hill is where you live? Yes, sir. Okay. I live in Columbia. The church oh, you is, do uh, live in Columbia? Yeah, yeah. We oh, have okay. campuses yeah, in Spring yeah. Hill and Columbia. Yeah, my brother yep. lives in Columbia. Right on. Yeah, that little city's growing, man. That's going to be You're the next sort me, of man. wave. Yep. Yes. Okay, well, if you bought in Columbia in 21, then that's very good. That's what, that's, that's what they tell me. That's very good. That was the right decision. Good Thanks, job. <laughs> I feel so affirmed already. <laughs> yeah, you should. I got to tell you this, man, just because I think it's better to say it than not. But you, you, I was really looking forward to this, man. And mm. we've never met before. Mm. I don't know what it is. I could tell already that I was going to like you before you showed up. Yeah. And I do. Thank so you. Thank Likewise. You. Likewise. I was really looking forward to this one. Um, I found you through Micah Carpenter. Okay. 
who plays in Connor Smith's band. Mm-hmm. Um, Connor Smith is uh, an upcoming country artist, mm-hmm. and Micah is like he plays a guitar. Micah is also a coach at a CrossFit gym, and he's like one of the better dudes in the gym. Mm. And um, he kept posting this stuff on Instagram from this Ian Simkin. <laughs> And sounds shady. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, what, you know, the first time or two or three, you see it, I guess I thought like this was this Ian Simpkin guy was a pastor at wherever Micah goes to church here in Nashville. And, you know, you tend to post your own pastor stuff maybe. And that's what was going on. Sure. Um, and so, so, but then I started to notice, okay, this is legit stuff. He's posting the content's very mm. good. Very good. And so I was like, ooh, who is this Ian Simpkin? So click through, and there you were. Hmm. Um, but your stuff that you're putting out on Instagram is really, really exceptional. Yeah. It seems to me like you have a pretty good, um, I don't, it seems like you have a good base of education, theological understanding, et cetera. And then you also understand where culture's at. Is that fair? Is that why you think your your content is landing? Because oh, you man. are really resonating. It seems to me you're really resonating with young people, and I'm curious why you think that is. Man, I, first off, thank you for the kindness. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm usually pretty quick to tell people. I, I've had like a lifelong struggle with crippling imposter syndrome. Hmm. of like, how did I get here? People are about to find out that I don't know what I'm talking about or that mm-hmm. I don't, you know, like that's always kind of in the in the back of my brain. So you think everyone has that or do you think you have it more than everyone? I mean, I, I that's have a that good question. Yeah. It's pretty surprised. I have had conversations with people who have told me like, Oh yeah, I can't relate to that at all. And it, okay. it does not make sense to me. And maybe they did, uh-huh. but they've, you know, they so grown in confidence of their skill or whatever. Um, for me, it's, it's definitely gone in waves where okay. you feel like oh, I feel more qualified in this season and this particular seed. And then environments change. You're like, Oh boy, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. So the Instagram thing to me is I'm as surprised as anybody. It, mm. it honestly is, it started as a way for me to kind of process my own thoughts. And it legitimately was, Hey, I hope that someone else maybe finds this helpful or that it resonates or at the very least, you know, I always think about frameworks like worldviews are things that we look through, not at mm. like most of the time. I'm not all that mindful that I'm wearing glasses unless something you know i open the dishwasher too soon and it fogs them up whatever but most of the time we're all looking through a framework and we're not ever really even thinking about that framework so at the very least some of my hope is hey i'm not even necessarily trying to convince you to believe the way that i believe but to maybe just take off the glasses for a second and Mm. say i guess there is maybe a different way to look at that or think about this or maybe i've never actually considered that that would be a win for me and for whatever reason i think it's, it's resonated. When did you start posting like you're posting now on Instagram? People need to check it out. Is it Ian Simkin at, at Ian Simkin? I- Ian Simkin, yeah. S, yeah, I-A-N-S-I-M-K-I-N-S. Everyone always wants to put a, a P in there, I think, because of the Simpsons, I think. Uh, is. <laughs> okay. So it's Simkins. Yes, sir. It's plural. Yep. It's, there's an S on the end. Yes, sir. Ah, okay. Yep. All yep. Right. Sorry about that. No, that's, uh, that's so good. It, it, on Instagram, it's at Ian Simkins. Yeah. So people can check that out. Totally. But when did you start to post that type of thing? Because it's a lot of content. Yeah. It's content driven. I it's mean, all yeah. content now. Again, it was it was accidental. The the start was um with with George Floyd and when people were posting just the black square, uh, I did with a description of like what my understanding of the meaning behind it was. Cause you know, again, that was pretty The Black polar- Square. Yeah, that was polarizing okay. for a lot of people and yeah. people were making assumptions about what it meant or didn't mean. Um 
And I never posted another photo after that. I, I, it was a black square for a couple of days. I, uh, I was telling you before we started, I had a radio show in Chicago. And so my co-host uh, and I were both, you know, these white male pastors in the city. And I said, hey, I feel like this might be uh, an opportunity for us to do less talking for a minute. Mm-hmm. After the George Floyd stuff, I was like, maybe, maybe we focus on listening for a second. And so we just invited a bunch of different leaders of color from around the city to share kind of their perspective and experience. And out of that, I had shared kind of the distillation of the last week or so of learning. And that was kind of my first (laughs) black box, white text thing. And I mean, all it is, by the way, just to let the cat out of the bag, they're just screenshots of Apple notes. So people, people have reached out to me and said, Hey, could I, could I steal your aesthetic? And I'm like, I don't think I, and take credit for the aesthetic. It's just notes. Really? And then screenshot it. So I'm not designing anything. I'm not. Yes, it is the laziest, easiest way I uh, thought. How do you get a black background in Apple Notes? Oh, I think I just have it on it's dark setting? mode. It's a dark oh, mode thing. I yeah. know that. Yeah. So what, what, another thing that I think is cool is that in your feed, you'll have like a sentence and then an arrow to swipe right. Sure. And then, you know, the second point and third. There's something about that that's engaging. Mm. And it's much better than having to get everything on one slide, which, you know, a lot of times it wouldn't even fit on one slide. But there's yeah. something about reading a point and then swiping to the right that also hmm. I think is it, it works. I've noticed that. So so you will have like this one says the Ten Commandments in reverse. Yeah. And then you have, you know, you have some you have a sentence there. So you'll screenshot that and then and then you'll you'll write the next one and screenshot that. Oh, man. This is embarrassing to confess because it's literally in, you know, in notes, you have an endless downward yes. scroll. So yes. I have one piece that I write and then I just hit enter, 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 enter 17 times to create enough space. Okay. And then the next one. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's all so it is. cool. I love that. And so it's yeah. all pretty, like if you were to actually try to match any of the previous ones up, like the arrow is never in the same place. Like it's so imprecise. Uh, okay. Okay. I have no, no one cares. People dude. are divi- you know, they're designing stuff in Canva and they're putting yeah. their branding and a watermark. And I'm like, I don't, one, I don't know how to, two, I don't really have the time for it. Yeah. So I'm like, here's some thoughts. Yes. Hope, hope it resonates. <laughs> yes. I love that. Anytime like, like that where the content shines through and it's not because of fluff or, or BS, that's, mm. there's something about that that resonates. I always like, I just appreciate honesty and transparency and none of the, you know, fluff and pretentious. So yeah. like when I see something like, like that, I'm always like, yeah, you know? <laughs> thanks man. You know, it works, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it is about the content, you know? I think um, so. It's been tricky because, um, because there's no branding on it. Uh, it's been ripped off a bunch of times and it's been really oh. interesting because a number of people have taken upon themselves to like police the internet on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So I'll get tagged in a lot of stuff. They're like, by the way, this is Ian Simpkins' post. No and, way. And, and my, my, uh, you know, my wife is pretty protective of me too. She's uh-huh. like, you should really, you know, put something there. Uh-huh. I don't know if this is my punk rock roots or something. I don't know what it is. Yep. I'm like, if they steal it, they steal it. I don't, you yeah. know, like okay. it's Instagram. I don't, yeah, I'm like kind of flattered that you liked it enough to steal it. To be sure. honest, I'm sure. not pro stealing it. Yeah, it's nice if someone gives credit, but it's like, yeah, it is what it is. I'm not out there to you know promote yeah. my handle or whatever. Like, I just want it to be helpful. Well, in every screenshot, you could always just enter, enter, enter three times down to make sure it gets on the screenshot, and then just put at Ian Simpkins on every slide. I, I mean, could, but it really would cared. never be. I wouldn't know how to measure it appropriately yeah. so it's in the same place. I say, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> How are you finding Nashville so far? You got here early 21, was it? Yeah, March 2021. Okay. 
Are you happy with the decision and the move in Middle Tennessee and all oh, that? Oh man, we're lo- we're loving it. You know, yeah. my all my family's still in Detroit, and all okay. of my wife's family's still in Chicago. So we're mm-hmm. doing the the little kid thing away from grandparents. That's tough. Um, but yeah. like the the church that we're at, the Bridge Church, has been remarkable. My wife is thriving. She's crushing it. Like she's such a gifted leader and communicator, and she's a songwriter too. So I'm I'm trying okay. to slowly like kind of rekindle that. But our little boys are loving their school, and we're finding our big prayer when coming down was that we would find like real meaningful community. Okay, that's always that's always the, a tough thing when you're in a new city. But I feel like there's so many transplants here. There that's is. what everyone's looking for. Yes. So it doesn't feel like we're breaking into an already established clique. It's yeah. like, yeah, welcome. We just got here two months before you did. Exactly. Want to be friends? Like that energy is electric. That's been awesome. Cool. So we've been really grateful. Cool. Yeah. We moved here in 2014. And one of the things that I noticed that was actually a surprise to me is that no one talked about my accent. Yeah, I right. I did think when I would move to Middle Tennessee, yes. I'd be like, man, you have a weird accent or why don't you talk Southern? Nah, no one. I mean, it was like, it, there's so many people that have moved in here. It's right. like, it almost like when you bump into someone who has a real deep Southern draw, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're, you know? you're from yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's fun to bump into those people every so often, but like living in Nashville, mm-hmm. I, I don't hear it a lot, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't hear it a lot either, on man. the street. It is funny how, like, even on a Sunday, a lot of times if people are from California, they'll, they'll say it like they're like telling a bad joke or something okay. like, Hey, where are you from? And they'll kind of like look over their shoulder. Uh huh. California. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Like you're allowed to be from California. Yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. you know, they're so used to suppressing it or hiding it exactly. or whatever. It's like, hey, it's a melting pot. Come on in. Yep. 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 No doubt. Um, okay. Formation. It seems to me like over the last three years, people have been informed, formed far more by politics than mm. they have by the church. Mm. There's a formation happening when you watch a lot of news, when you're maybe even glued to the news. This is one of the benefits that I feel like I had growing up Mennonite. We didn't have TVs. Yes. We weren't even supposed to listen to the radio. Love the Mennonites. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, watching live TV to this day, we don't have live TV. I get mm. Apple YouTube TV when it's football season just to watch the football games. That's yep. the only live TV I ever watch. So I'm not about like waking up in the morning, immediately turning the news on. But what the live TV is, is catechizing people. Mm -hmm. And it's catechizing people all day long. And you tend to pick, you know, which side politically you're on here. And then you go, all the algorithms cater to that. And then Mm -hmm. you get more and more, you know, set in those ways and more and more interested. And and you're formed by that. Whether you know it or not, you're formed by that. And it seems like in America, people have been formed by politics in the last three years far more than they have by church. So... Mm -hmm. What um what do you think about that? Would you agree with that assessment? Is that how, how do you think about that in your role of the lead pastor of a church mm. in the area of formation? If politics is forming people more than the church is, is that okay? Is that bad? What's to be done about that? And I lo- I love that question. One, I would say, um, problems you don't know about are problems you can't fix. You know, so like one of the things that I try to say at our church a lot is formation is not a Christian thing; it's a human thing. Mm-hmm. We're all being formed and shaped by someone or something. The question is, do you know what it is? So like low-hanging fruit, at least in our context, is I'll say if the first thing you're reaching for in the morning is your phone and the last thing you're looking at before you go to bed at night is your phone, that's a formation device. Like that is, we don't, we think about it, we think it's benign. Like, oh, it's just a quick scroll. It's quick. We're training our brains and I would argue our souls to need to always be dialed in, always connected, always have an opinion or response to something all the time. I, one, 
ontologically, we were not designed to function like that at all. Um, two, I do think uh, tribalism has become even more deeply entrenched. Like you were saying that we now know, you know, everyone watched the social network and that was not mm-hmm. new information, but it was like, so I feel like dilemma. social dilemma. Is that what it was called? That, that, well, that's the one that came out. The On social Netflix. network is about the founding of Facebook, but the one that came out more recently, the social dilemma talks yes. about how the algorithms are taking over. Our totally. Mind. And even the fact yeah. that like some of those guys who are behind the development of these technologies, you know, they'd ask like, Hey, do your kids have an iPad? And they're like, Nope, absolutely not. I'm like, what does this guy know that we don't know? So, exactly. so I, I try to always, as a pastor, like I, I, I sometimes live in the world of the philosophical and the ethereal, but you're also, you know, the goal as a practitioner is to help real life people. Like, how do I actually grapple with this? It's not just enough for me to say, hey, some of you are being more shaped by Fox News or CNN than the word of God. That'll get like a shock moment. Mm -hmm. For me, the challenge is always, how do we help people think formationally about their entire lives? And a lot of that requires a zoom out because many of us were handed a tradition that said, hey, as long as you attend the thing on Sunday, the rest of the week is yours to do whatever you want. Like this weird sacred secular divide. Like, oh, it's all about attendance, which I'm for, by the way. Mm-hmm. Gathering on Sunday, I think, is deeply formative and important. But if we're also not thinking about the media that we're consuming, our, our level of connectedness, like for me and my family, a big part of that is Sabbath. Like I choose 24 hours every week to power it all down. I made a commitment to my wife. When I pull in the driveway every night, my phone is off until my boys go to sleep, which is not that much, by the way. It's 90 minutes or whatever. That's a formation decision. I don't powered off. Powered all off. I, oh wow! I put it in a drawer. I don't want my boys to ever hear me respond to them while also looking at my phone. I just don't. I don't. I know that that has that's impacting them now. So I'm not responsible just for my own formation. How old are your boys? Uh, five, four, and seven months. What time do they go to bed? Usually around seven. Okay. Seven. 30. Yeah, stick with that, bro. We, we do the same thing. Really? And, yo, heck yes. Good for you. We Good have a 12-year-old, and they still go to bed around 7, 30, 8 o'clock. Willingly? Oh, it's a fight every single night. Yeah, man. okay, good. I, we, I don't, somewhere in our parenting, we totally miss how to put kids to bed. Yes. I mean, we're 12 years in on this thing, and it's basically a, it's basically a full contact sport every single night. <laughs> okay, good. We're not so, alone then. No. Well, I, uh, yeah, no. That's how it is. But anyhow, the uh, okay, so around 7, so early bedtime, which is great. Love yep. that. And then you're getting home around, what, 5.30 then-ish? That's my commitment to my wife. And you have the phone powered off until the boys are in bed, and then you'll turn it back on again. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes it's a check-in. Sometimes if we're, like, planning out the next week, you know, it's not a... It's amazing how getting into a better rhythm, honestly, of just powering some of the stuff... The, that's how formation works. Like, what feels like a knockdown, dragout fight at the beginning of a new habit or practice, a year later, if you've never worked out before, mm-hmm. dragging yourself to the gym will feel like... A battle royale. Once you've done it for three years, you're like, oh no, I'm just someone who goes to the gym. Right. It's the same with meditation. It's the same with scripture reading. It's the same with any of these practices. I think people get so discouraged when, you know, they'll, New Year's resolutions, they'll decide, I'm going to work out 47 times a week. And you're like, that's not, first off, no, you're not. Second off, you're going to get really discouraged when you don't. This is why we talk so much about practices as counter formation. Like Duke University did a study a few years ago and they found that something between 40 and 80% of all human choice is a result of habit. So we pride ourselves on being, you know, I'm a captain of my own destiny. It's like, actually, neurobiologically speaking, so much of who we are is outsourced to habit. Yes. And for some reason, the Western church has like had kind of a weird, I think, posture towards habit because it feels disconnected from emotion or intention. 
I'm like, man, if I can, if I can work into my limbic system, like, oh man, I just habitually, this is the way that I parent. This is the way that I carve out time to be in the word, to be in prayer. Mm-hmm. It's not as much of a knockdown drag out fight every time because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is just, this is just who we are. And as it turns out, that's what life is made of is the moments. Turns out. Yeah. Who and knew? I, and I think, uh, I think I was Tim Ferriss on his podcast. He's probably been the longest standing podcast that I've listened to because mm. he was in it early yep. and I, and I loved his stuff. And then, um, I think it was him that first was talking about the difference between goals and habits. Mm-hmm. And when he started talking about that, this was years ago, man. And it, it resonated. Yep. And I've paid a lot more attention to that since it was something like that seemed more true to me. It's more true to my personal experience. Habits are more helpful for me than goals. Mm. Uh, by far. Yeah. If same. I can, if I can just, you know, build in some habits in the areas that I want to get better in, that is way more effective for me than just being like, you know what, this month I'm going to do X. And then yes. for the next three months, I'm going to do X and have all these different goals. Just creating the habits, I think, is much more powerful. Even like a great example for me that's been such a small shift rather than I'm going to read X amount of books per year, it's I'm going to spend this much per day reading. Exactly. That shift has been, that like unlocked something for me. That's a great me. example. It was so helpful. And you know, you got James Clear and Atomic Habits. That's mm-hmm. been pretty formative for people. But you know, Drucker's been saying a lot of this stuff for a mm-hmm. while. Like I, I, I will be curious, and we talk about this at the bridge where like, again, everyone's being formed by someone or something. And the kind of Venn diagram I'll show is that we're, we are typically a mishmash of the stories that we tell to make sense of the world, our habits and our relationships. And to counter those, so counter stories, as I would offer teaching, right? Preaching and teaching and scripture. Counter habits would be practices. What are the practices that we stand against sort of our natural, the, 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 you know, the cultural stream and current of do more, become more, accomplish more. And then counter relationships would be community. You know, relationships mm-hmm. tend to be, we have similar interests, similar, I think like gospel community is something mm-hmm. a little more profound. It's our decision to say, Hey, we're going to imperfectly apprentice Jesus together, even though we might not have anything else in common that would bring us together. Jesus is the thing. Yes. Well, when that's happening, that's actually one of the best testaments to it actually being true faith to begin with, right? Because he tells otherwise, us that, totally. Oh, he does. Yeah. Jesus is like, this is how people will know that you're mine. Well, that's a great point. Is your love for each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, are. Yeah. I think biblical community is one of the greatest apologetics to a doubting and skeptical world. When they see people like you have nothing in common, why? Why are you being so kind and great? Why would you serve each other freely? That to me is way better than any, you yes. know, platform lectured. I'm going to try to yep. beat you over the head with a, you know, list of Bible verses. Yep. Because otherwise you can explain it away in terms of social dynamics, right? Of course, yeah. And so if something's happening that you can't explain away in terms of social dynamics because they're so powerful, mm-hmm. then it really does. Um, I mean, that is, I think, one of the one of the best differentiators of, of of what's happening when people are getting together over their common faith. Yes. Even being so different. Um, the, can you talk, I don't want to get away from formation, but you mentioned the Sabbath. When is this 24 hour Sabbath you take? Yeah. So we do, I mean, historically, uh, and I think a lot of people, if they still practice and there's various different theological interpretations, is it still binding for us today or not? Is it uh, an invitation? Is Jesus our Sabbath? And we shouldn't even be talking about it. You know, I work on Sundays, so Sunday is not a great day for Sabbath. So our family, to get into the weeds of it, uh, we Sabbath sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Okay. And because my kids are young, you know, I I like to ritualize stuff a little bit just because I think it makes it fun. So for no reason, no biblical theological reason, 
to start Sabbath, I'll play the sound of a shofar over the speakers, mm. which my boys think is hilarious. They don't really understand it. And we'll... What time is this on Friday? This is sundown, so... Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Sundown. Yeah. So in the summer, you're talking like 9 o'clock? Yeah, probably not so much. Okay. We, I still probably do it. I like to begin Sabbath right before the meal, our Sabbath meal. Okay. You know, okay. so it's a, more around dinner time. Okay. And, we, and we've done various different versions where we'll light a candle or <laughs> we used to have them like light like sage and they would like walk around the house and you know we we used to read from the book of common prayer and now we'll read from a we'll read a psalm or pray something over them or we'll invite friends over like we're not really married to one methodology okay um but my boy you know we call it shabbat sometimes Uh you know which is the hebrew word and they think that's hilarious they think shabbat's Uh a fun word it is it sounds great it sounds great (laughs) it's like satisfying to say but at the very least i want them to have this association like this is not a legalistic 24 hour window where we're doing like pious religious activity. Yeah. It's like, this is a time to rest and delight in God and each other. So we do all the fun stuff. It's the best meal of the week. Um, I'll take the boys for ice cream. We'll go for long walks. Mm-hmm. We'll like light sparklers, even though it's not 4th of July. Like we just <laughs> delight. Like it's a real, I want that, you know, like the, there's the, this tradition in like the ancient Jewish school system where some rabbis when teaching uh, the children how to memorize the Torah, they would also put honey on their fingers. So they would, as they had them reading the scriptures, they would also have them tasting this honey to create this association that like the word of God is like sweet and delightful to, to be enjoyed, not just memorized. I want to have that same, I want my boys to have that same association. Mm-hmm. And one day a week mm-hmm. we cease from all accomplishing. Like think about that in an age obsessed with performance and production Rest is warfare. I mean, that's re- Sabbath is resistance. You know, Walter Brueggemann writes about this in, a, in just a brilliant book called Sabbath is Resistance. It's not just, oh, we'll take it easy and sip some chamomile for a day. It is, nope, I am, I'm stopping of my work and I'm going to trust that God can take care of this, which is such a picture of grace. Like, I'm not accomplishing anything and God loves us just as much as he did when I was crushing it. And that I want that rhythm like embedded into my children's psyche. And then Saturday, you're just doing fun things, whatever you want to do, really. Yeah, but it needs to be restful. And we and we read, and they know, like, hey, there's there's some time. Where I'm uh, honestly, I don't know if I'm allowed to share this kind of stuff on the podcast. Like, I assume that you are. You, but like, mom and dad, we're just gonna we're just gonna cuddle, and we're not gonna. You guys go play in your room or whatever. Okay. Like, it's no no agenda. We we're not catching up on housework. We're not. Um, a lot of time to like, you know, get ahead on projects. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, at its core, Shabbat means stop, to stop. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of the four main interpretations of the word or usages in the Old Testament is stop, rest, delight, and worship. Mm-hmm. So we kind of mm-hmm. keep those like, hey, as long as we're doing the four of these, remembering that Jesus said, hey, like Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we don't yep. want to get too legalistic about it, but yep. if we can kind of keep those in frame. Yep. We feel good about it. We, I heard about this first from, I think, my brother, and they have been doing this for a while, and they love it. Really? Yeah, and we tried this exact version, but mm. then it, it wasn't exactly working out for us, and finally we were like, you know what? What if we just did, this was probably summer, fall of 2020. Um, we were like, what if we, I don't think we put it in exactly these words, but basically we were like, what if we just did what works for us? Totally. And um, so now it. we're doing what works for us, and it's awesome, dude. It's uh, Our boys like to play Fortnite, mm-hmm. and they play it 24-7, of course. Sure. So, right. <laughs> but we don't want them playing it every day. 
And uh, so the deal that we have struck now is Friday nights around 5 o'clock, they need to have their dinner, have been showered, have their PJs on, everything. And then they just go play Fortnite all night, man. Love it. They're like, get it out of your system. Yeah, right. <laughs> For five hours, go nuts. The girls watch movies. Well, now Ava is playing a little Fortnite with them, too, because she got a Switch. And they're all up in their room uh, playing Fortnite together and mm-hmm. having a great time. And um, and then, you know, Marianne and I will hang out here, chill, listen to music, go sit in the yard, That's right. cuddle, go out. If we want to go out to dinner, we can or do or whatever, but... We don't uh, we don't have people over mm. um, because for me that's work. Yeah, right. Uh, if I ha- even if it's like friends that are coming over, it's like I'm introverted enough. Like that's it's kind of work. You still, kind of got to be on. Yeah, a yeah, little. exactly. Yeah. So we don't Saturdays turn into whatever Saturdays turn into, but it's become a thing now. We've been doing this for two and a half years, nice. and what was interesting about it is it was all gain and no loss. Mm-hmm. And because I don't even know what we used to do with Friday nights, but we lost nothing mm-hmm. with this. And I started to like cut out a little earlier on a Friday too, like three, four o'clock. I want to be, well, even two, three o'clock. I want to be done. Yep. You know, I want to be done, worked enough for the week. And um, so it, it had us thinking, we were talking about this a while ago is I wonder what other area of life we could have a pickup in at no cost. Yes. Cause I'm pretty sure this can't be the only one. And this was definitely a pickup for us at no cost. And so, um, that's our version, but, you know, we wouldn't trade it, dude. I mean, when we I have a super it. busy week, we just know, you know what, Friday night's coming. Yes. Friday night's coming. Becomes um, like an anchor point in your week. It absolutely does. And when something happens on a Friday night, it's like, ah, screw it. <laughs> the whole weekend's ruined. Yeah. You know, now we just got to make it till next Friday. <laughs> yeah, right. If you're not that busy, it's not that big a deal. But when you're really, really busy, like in the evenings are taken up or whatever, totally. then you just, it, it matters more. Totally. Um, but you also block out Thursday nights, too, because we usually do this on Thursday nights, and it was more in the afternoon. Or is it just that you don't like to do things in the evening in general, which makes total sense, by the way? Yeah, I tried to not do things. You know, we've kind of mapped some of this out. And we're in a season with little kids, you know, where everything's always shifting. But mm-hmm. I try to have a commitment to my wife, like how many evenings I'm away or how many, like, morning breakfast meetings I do. So, uh-huh. like, for example, yesterday was our monthly elders meeting. That's an evening away from my family. Mm-hmm. So like that's my that's my commitment to try to only be away yeah from the family especially because bedtime you get this like bedtime with Absolutely. little ones is bananas that's Absolutely. like a rodeo so every time my wife has to manage that on her yeah. own that's a lot of output that's a lot of oh, work yeah. so yeah. I try to guard it if I can well I'm I'm actually really happy to hear that because I work at a church I don't know if you knew that Mm-mm. but um the uh, I'm not a pastor there but I work at one and um the well I know enough about the schedule to know like particularly for a lead pastor, if you don't really protect your evenings yeah. and your time outside of quote unquote normal working hours, it's going to suck for you. Yeah. So you need to set, you need to set some of those boundaries. I'm saying I'm, this I'm as happy to hear that. I'm someone who has historically really struggled in this area. I got a lot of people pleasing in me. I've said yes to far too many things. Like this is years of, uh, boundaryless living. I'm learning from some of my scars, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. there's a, I think it's why I feel so passionate about this. Because I actually have, I had a front row seat into the kind of life that develops when you don't hold these things, when you don't guard these things. Uh-huh. So, like, I have a proof of concept. Like, uh-huh. oh, I remember 29-year-old Ian was miserable because he was burning the candle at both ends, saying yes to everyone and everything. Yeah. So it's not just theoretical for me. Sure. So then, sure. you know, getting married and having kids, I felt this immediate sense of, like, oh, it's not just my heart and soul. Like, I'm not responsible for cultivating and curating. You know, that's... It just raised the bar in my mind. And uh, 
became less acceptable in my mind to continue down a path that I knew ultimately was not for anyone's flourishing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. How old are you now? How old do you think I am? I'm going to go with, uh, 34. Right on. Okay. I'll take that. Five. I turn uh, 40 <laughs> next week. No way. Yes, sir. Oh, oh yep. wow. Yeah. 40. Okay. All yeah. Right, 40 next week. February right, 21st. Yeah. Well, I, I missed that one. That's Don't all good. On it. That's all. <laughs> Uh, I was trying to judge by, like, you said 29. Yeah, dude, you know what? I really did mess it up because you said 29. It sounded like you weren't married at 29 or didn't have kids, right? I didn't. We got married a little later in life. We're doing the kid thing a little later than a lot of, you know, most okay. of my peers, they're they're dealing with, like, learner's permit stuff now in high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, still f- full in diaper mode. Yeah. Not not me. My children. My children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you'll get there soon enough. <laughs> um, so do... One of the things that I've also appreciated about the content that you're putting out is it is like third way. Like you're not dipping into the craziness of mm. right versus left and trying to bring a spiritual element into there to prove a political point, but rather you're, you're, I mean, that is like Jesus and it, it rises above, you know, it's like a different way. Mm. Um, and it seems like you, you focus there First, which I think is is wonderful. It's probably one of the best things that could be said about you, if that's true. But it seems like it is. So, is that how you think about formation when everyone's getting so kind of caught up in the politics mm. and right, left, bipartisan, blah blah blah? Is the best way to is the best antidote to that to not even play that game, but just to preach Jesus? How how, how do you how do you think about um, formation then? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, David French wrote an article a couple years ago, and the title was something like, America is on the verge of a fundamentalist revival, but it's not Christian. And he was the first that I heard really articulated like this. He talked about uh, like horseshoe theory, how people on the extremes and the opposite ends are actually much closer to each other than they realize. They're, They're following the same rule book, the same playbook. And I think when you can step back long enough, which is why I think rest and Sabbath, it's another thing that it helps you to do, to step back like maybe this issue du jour is not nearly as big a deal as I thought it would. Like, mm-hmm. um, so that, that's that been really helpful, I think, to see, like, oh, you guys are playing by the same rule book. You hate each other, these opposite sides of the argument. Same kind of blueprint, though. And I think recognizing some of those patterns has been helpful. I, I keep coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the classic example is the turning the other cheek. And part of what I think is so beautiful about the third way of Jesus is it's not center. People, I think, mistake the way of Jesus says, like, oh, it's somewhere comfortably in between. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Third way is a different theological treatment. Exactly. Like, it is a, so, th- with the turning the other cheek example, which, you know, even if you're not a Jesus person, you probably heard the example. It's not retraction or retaliation. It's it's like this other thing entirely. And there's this whole, like, beautiful theological work of, like, to show your other cheek means you have to first look the person in the eye Say, hey, whether you're going to hit me again or not, like you're going to recognize the sacred dignity of another human staring you in the face. There's all these other things going on that I think Jesus was getting at mm-hmm. that is is way different than just like, oh, but you have fight or flight. Those are your options. Mm-hmm. Those are the binaries that are so easy for us to fall into, and it's what's led, I think, to entrenched tribalism. The amount of times I've heard people say, I, I can't even imagine why you would believe that. I'm like, that's a problem. When we can't even cognitively put ourselves even remotely in the other person's shoes. Um, that's it. That's a theological issue. I think that's a human issue. Like there's a, a, a group called um, 
they're called more uncommon. And every five years or so, they do a study called the perception gap. And it's essentially asking people on the right their opinion of how they think people on the left feel about certain issues. Uh-huh. And they do it in reverse. And year after year, it's always so blatantly clear both sides have no idea like the real convictions or what percentages yeah. the other side has. Like we, it's so easy to demonize. Like Brene Brown says it this way. She says, uh, uh, people are hard to hate up close. Mm, and I think that's, that's true. That's like powerful. when I've, when I've chosen to break bread with someone who otherwise I would never choose to, and you just spend an hour together, mm-hmm. we might not agree any more than we did an hour ago. It's really hard to deny your humanity though, just as mm-hmm. a, as like an image bearer of God. And I think, I think we need a whole lot more of that. And I think yes. it's why, and again, I don't want to be one of those pastors that passes social media or technology. I think there's a lot of good that can come from it. But we have to recognize that like commenting on a post is not the same as a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think we've tricked ourselves into thinking like, oh, it's uh, this back and forth. It's like a conversation. It's not. Mm-mm. And we're not recognized. If I were to say something awful to you and you're like face contorted, like something in the recesses of my brain would go, Oh, that was really insulting. That was a really rude. I don't want to do that to him. And I think we're losing some of that and it's creating, it's widening the entrenchment. Yes. And the third way isn't just, well, this part's right here and this part's right there. It's, it's helping recognize like we were not made to live like this. Yes. And it's not good for any of us. I think that's a very, very powerful point. And I think the social media is like a very good example and it's even more extreme, but to prove that point, because this in my view is not even nearly that extreme is I've had, um, very capable, very like experienced, competent, um, like business leaders, like hmm. tell me things in person about an issue. And, you know, with some amount of conviction and clarity and et cetera. And then that very same person, I'm talking like high level people here mm-hmm. in a meeting. It's like a different, yeah, they might speak at the point, but not the way that we did in person. Yes. And, and these aren't like pushovers, you know, like, and so if that is true to human nature, which I really think it is, um, there's a mellowing effect when y'all get together, you know, and work some things out, then it's even more true with, um, with social media. So, but you are, you, you mentioned something that is to me, I think one of the, well, one of the harder issues that seems to me like to fix in America or, or that could really take us to some bad places, which is mm. that we don't even like there's, it's almost like it's gotten to the place where there's like, there's, there's no reality anymore. Mm. We can't even agree on what's true. Like yeah, we can't right. even agree on, I mean, it's gotten so crazy. Like you'll have, it's just almost like a complete like mind game sometimes mm. where you know, it's like you said that, but now you're saying you didn't say that. Like we don't even, we can't even agree on, <laughs> yeah, on on what is like what is the base of reality. Yeah. You know, right. um, and so if that's the case, then how do we ever? How do these? How does the right and left ever mm. move forward if we can't even agree on reality or the basis of anything? That's yeah. what it seems like it's getting to now. Yeah, you know? I get that. It's That's almost it. like a, it's almost like a fantasy land kind mm. of a fantasy world with no rules. Yeah, words mean whatever you want them to mean. And yeah, exactly. We, that seems like a tough thing to, to oh, fix. Yeah. I this isn't a fix. My uh, my brother is a lawyer in Detroit, 
And every election year, he does this thing where he he um, he hosts this big dinner party on election night. But the only way that you can get into this party is if you bring someone who voted differently than you to the party. Oh, that's that's fun. your that's your entrance oh, wow, to the party. Cool. And it's beautiful. I'll bet it's like such a vision of the kingdom. Uh-huh. And you know he he'll be really honest about it. He's like people don't usually leave having convinced someone of sure. a different position. But you did leave with a friend. Mm-hmm. You left with someone with whom you can engage. You you can at least now recognize the common humanity. So you might like to your question we might have completely different opinions about what reality even is, but now you at least have a starting point of some level of intimacy to have a conversation. I think the reason that it's become so prevalent, so pervasive where it does feel like, are we in different planets? Am I speaking the same language as you? Is we don't, we haven't done any of the relational work to establish any level of common ground. Like for me, I'm so Tired. I hope we do away with this in the next 10 years. The uh, historically like soft skills things that we've talked about. I think the more that we, the more that we learn about the human brain and, and neurobiology and all that, I think we're finding out those are the skills. Uh-huh. They've been so long relegated to like, ah, that's not as important as IQ. Well, we know that's yep. not true anymore. Yep. And yep. I think the, the church has a long way to go too, where it's, if the whole aim is just the dissemination of information, that's not the same as transformation. I- yeah. Information transfer does not equal transformation. Absolutely. And I think we treat, we do the same thing in politics. If I could just out-argue you, then I'll convince you. You know, Billy Graham used to say something like, anyone who can be argued into a faith can be argued out of it, which I think is true. Like Something else needs to happen. There's a, there's a Holy Spirit component that, like, it's not about my acumen against your acumen. And if we're not willing to actually do, this is what people don't want to hear. I think discipleship in the way of Jesus is way more inefficient than most of us have patience for. You know, like we're just not interruptible. We don't, you know, there's this Japanese theologian who wrote this book called Three Mile an Hour God. And his whole kind of premise is that the average walking speed for a human is three miles an hour. And so his thesis is, if that's true, then love has a speed and it's three miles an hour. And the problem is most of us are just going so much faster than that that I don't have any time to see you and your humanity because I'm running uh-huh. to the next thing and my schedule's totally jam-packed and it's it all comes back to practices. Yeah. I don't yeah. I can't see any of you because I'm it's all about even as a pastor, I can create I can create this like kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, like, well, well, I'm doing the Lord's work, so I don't have to, you know, I, I can self-justify my busyness because exactly. of the value of my work and fail to actually know any of the names of my neighbors. You know, like Jesus talks pretty bluntly about loving your neighbors. And I, there's a lot about loving your neighbors that I don't understand. I do think knowing their name might help. Uh-huh. And we just live in such an isolated, we don't know them. And then we hop online yeah. to rip someone apart that we've never met. Yeah. Like, that feels backwards. Yep. How do you stay in the know while still protecting your mind and attention and desires? Because that mm. this seems like it's also becoming increasingly <laughs> difficult. There's a lot to keep up with. Yeah. Well, you Without know what? it really affecting you, like almost like taking over. Oh, it it does affect me. Yeah, that this is still this is a big area of struggle for me. You know, when we did the radio show in Chicago, that was a, a five day a week, two hour a day show. So there was like this constant need to kind of be in the know. Is that so your full time gig at that time? No, that was in addition to being a pastor. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, a lot. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, probably too much. That's probably. what I mean. Like this is uh, this is instinct of mine to like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that too. Uh, so certainly coming down here and not having that, I felt the immediate like relief that came from distancing myself from having to be dialed into all the news all the time was really really helpful. 
The other thing, though, that that taught me was how to, you know, Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And that, to me, very rarely looks like constantly scanning Twitter to see which pundit is saying what. Like, that, to me, is whip, that's information whiplash at all times. And I can get just as sucked into that as anybody. But, like, choosing to, to at least balance out daily news tick with monthly long form journalism or mm-hmm. a podcast 30 days after the fact where like three people from three perspectives actually take a deep dive on something rather than, you know, a 280 character hot take. Like yeah. we become so conditioned from mic drops and hot takes and I don't think we're better for it. So again, a lot of it has to do with, I'm going to choose to counteract some of these maybe daily weekly habits with, I, I need to be reading long form things, mm-hmm. not to mention like meditating on scripture. I used to even, even with the Bible reading, I, I used to take it as a challenge. I'm just like a competitive person. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to read 87 more chapters than yesterday. You know, there's this practice called Lectio Divina that has been in the church for centuries. That is, it simply means uh, divine reading. It's just like a slow, it's a slow reading of scripture. Mm. And there's this whole beautiful tradition that most of us in the West know nothing about. It's like, hey, maybe instead of like crushing 87 chapters, what if you did a slower, patient reading of one? And I'm realizing that like that posture towards scripture is actually giving me a much different lens by which I consume news. Mm. Like mm. maybe I don't need a constant onslaught of everyone's immediate hot take 12 seconds after the fact, you know? So are you saying that the scripture reading being steeped in the scripture helps you to see that you don't actually have to keep up with the news so much? or it helps you to process the news that you are keeping up with? Well, I say both. both. I mean, you know, you go to Ecclesiastes, which I would recommend, by the way. Ecclesiastes is maybe the book of the modern era where, you know, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, it creates a context. You know, one of the greatest gifts for me early in ministry, when I had just started, there was a guy on staff who was the pastor emeritus, and he had just turned, like, 82 when I started. Did you so, take over from him? I didn't take over from him. Okay. He was, uh, he, he had, yeah, that's a whole other long story. But to have, to be someone in his mid-20s who was just starting in this role. Oh, this was not at the bridge. Not, a, yeah, yeah, okay. sorry, this Got is back it. in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, like like maybe a lot of 20-something-year-old leaders, I was easily frazzled. Uh, I took stuff very personally. I had um, probably an overinflated sense of my capacity uh, to have someone who was celebrating 60 plus years in the ministry kind of temper all of that. I remember the first time I got like my first threat. Um, it was an anonymous threat that like really rattled me mm. and I got, I was all fired up about it and I brought it into the office and I showed him and he looked at it and he kind of laughed and he said, yeah, man, welcome to ministry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a threat from what? Someone in the community or the yeah, church or yeah, somebody, someone at the church. I don't know. I, I it was anonymous. So I don't, I, I still don't know, but it, it definitely was a huh. ominous sort of, yeah, watch your back kind wow. of thing, which based on what you were saying, I think so. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But Daryl was like, yeah, this will happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the wisdom of an 82 year old pastor right. is like, yeah, nothing new under the sun, man. This yep. is going to, it's going to happen. It's okay to be fired up. I, I think this is the balance for me, you know, because you look at the tradition of the prophets. There's a reason that the prophets in the Old Testament either went crazy or were killed most of the time because where they saw a tragedy, 
most of the culture of the time thought saw it as a minor inconvenience. So I do think there's something about the prophetic tradition mm -hmm. in recognizing like, hey, we should be paying attention. This is a bigger issue than y'all think is. And at the same time, we can't be rattled by everything all the time. Like there's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, Marshall McLuhan talks about most of us have a, a very low information to action ratio. We're taking in so much more information than we can even reasonably act upon and it's causing us all to sort of just, just shut down. I, I think it's why we're seeing a spike in isolation, spikes in uh, suicide, mental illness, and substance abuse is because we're, we're dialed in all the time to all the concerns of the world mm -hmm. and our brains are rational enough to go, well, I, I can't help with any of that. So I guess I'll just do nothing. Mm -hmm. So we shut it down. You, you know? shut it down and it creates this kind of this dissonance or disconnect in your yes. mind and then it can cause these, this hope, well, hopelessness. Of course, that's exactly it. It can cause hopelessness because a lot of that stuff is rooted from hopelessness. That's right. So you just said something that's, that's pretty fascinating that I guess is not something that it's in the back of my mind as they go throughout the day to day, which is in the Old Testament, you had these prophets mm -hmm. that occasionally the culture would think that something there's, that is going on that's not that big a deal and the prophet's saying, oh, no, 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 this is a big deal. So what's Huge. the modern day equivalent of that? Well, one, this is probably going to be a surprising position. I think comedians might be the closest thing we have to modern day prophets. I think Ooh, that's uh, a very interesting answer. I this think, is a very okay. I'm curious to hear what you have to say here because I'm very fascinated by comedians. Well, think about I am too, and I, I'm not saying every comedian. And I think that there are certainly um, there are prophetic voices in some pulpits, not nearly as many as maybe should be. Uh, but think about a good comic. A good comic doesn't just simply make you laugh. A good comic makes you think, oh, yeah, I've experienced that. Oh, I see that now. Oh, why didn't I see that before? Like, those are the moments where the yeah. reveal, the punchline is like, yeah, airline food is terrible. Whatever it is, you know, yeah. like there's an aha kind of moment. And comedians have this capacity to disarm you uh, and will often distract you with the laugh in order to say something profound about culture or about human nature or again at least the comedians that i yeah. most resonate with not every comic is like this Certainly. some are just but a lot of times it's about authority too that's true and this is the one thing i was thinking yes. about more recently was look back in the day i remember black knight this movie um all these other movies that that have like show things from like the medieval times mm -hmm. they have these court jesters like mm -hmm. it seems like in society at least semi-modern society um that there's always been a place for these people that poke at power mm -hmm. and culture when they think it's crazy but they do it in a way that makes you laugh yes and today we call them comics and back then they called them court jesters but there's always been this place mm -hmm. that's what i'm fascinated by yes and i think too it's worth noting this is a little reductionistic but in the old testament you really you had temple prophets and you had wilderness prophets those are two different kinds of prophetic voices. Some, like Nathan with King David, you know, uh, he was a he was a part of the temple staff. So he's after all the Bathsheba stuff. Nathan tells David this parable, and Nathan's uh, and David's incensed. He's like, "This man needs to be put to death." And Nathan says, "You're the man. You're the one in the story." He had access to David because he was a temple prophet. But then you also have these wilderness prophets, who are the ones that are often do. There's often a lot of like kind of street theater to them. It's a very different. They're kind of on the outskirts and they're often kind of speaking on behalf of the marginalized because they're in the trenches with them. Uh, I don't know that we have as much of that right now. 
Maybe we do. That'd be an interesting conversation because I think a lot of times the comics that we know about probably are fairly successful and they're getting specials and they're selling at arenas. And so there's a certain level of like you're well, adjacent to power. You know. Well, it's it is something that I have heard Joe Rogan, who's become completely very successful as yeah. his podcast. It's the most successful thing he has going on. But he's also been doing com- comedy right. for a while. I've right. heard him talking to Louis C.K. recently was on his podcast mm. and, and another comedian. And um, very successful comedian. They were talking about when you become successful, you have to understand your life is not the everyday person's life. Yeah, the everyday right. person's life is not hotels and airports and dinners and right. shows and s- specials and it's 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 not. So you have to like remember that what you're experiencing, not everyone is experiencing, and you need to. St- do things that you need to do so that you can still understand the everyday person because yes. that's you have to understand that to resonate with them. Totally. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, and there's a shadow side to that, too. If you remember, um, like, the tragedy of Robin Williams and people, the commentary was, how could someone seemingly so happy be so tortured? And the what you know, like what we know about dopamine receptors in the brain now is that after every, like, wave of dopamine, your brain opens up more receptors, so it requires a bigger wave of dopamine to achieve the same level of high. So you think about someone who disproportionately from the rest of us is spending a lot of time on a stage with laughter and affirmation. If that is normative for you, a regular day in a life like, you know, regular day from you and me would feel like torture. It feels normal to me and you, but if your baseline is this Mm -hmm. man, just going to the store to pick up groceries could feel like torture so this disparity so yes there's the hotels and the dinners and the that's all fun i think that's often the shadow side though is like it's hard to just exist in reality then Mm -hmm. and if you're being recognized all you know like all that you were saying that that a lot of these comics are introverts Mm -hmm. the need to have to be on every time someone notices you at a coffee shop or whatever that can that can really mess with somebody and i think um it's i think it's why we need to listen to them (laughs) yeah huh that's a fascinating answer man um you really do think the Bible is relevant for today, don't you? hundred percent. Why do you think that? Boy, how much time do we got? <laughs> I think, again, the proof of concept, the amount of historical examples we have of this, which, by the way, the Bible is not a book. It's a collection of books. It's a library of books written over the course of thousands of years on multiple continents, multiple languages. Like, I'm a big believer in like not just biblical literacy but knowing what it is that we're looking at like to know the difference between poetry or chronicles or allegory or instruction or a letter i think that is so needed because when you confuse that well obviously your application is going to get a lot of whack and i think we've unfortunately seen a lot of that and a lot of abuse of power in the church and um that point, that's heartbreaking. Can I just pause yeah. you for one second and just reinforce how big I personally think that point is? I mm. think that point is massive. Mm. I think if you don't get that point when you approach the Bible, that you, you may as well not get too much farther. Mm. Um, and and maybe maybe if you miss that point and you get into the Bible, it'll help you circle back around to it. But I, it's it's it, it it's <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on. Like yeah. if it really is the word of God, yep. which I believe that it is, like yep. if it's inspired by a God who we can't even describe, we don't even know how to talk about him. Yeah, right. And he inspired this book. And we're just going to open up the page and just <laughs> read it flatly. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> and assume I mean? like that it, I know what that means. Like Exactly. In 2023, exactly. oh, I probably meant this. You're like, that 
the world that you're eavesdropping into is as different to our world as, imagine how different the world would be 3,000 years from now. Just like whatever picture you have of what the world's going to look like in 3,000 years, that's how far removed we are now from so much of what was, yeah. especially in the Old Testament. And yet we assume, well, I'll just, uh, uh, I'll slap kind of a modern framework. Yes. It's the frameworks again. Yes. Like, oh, I, uh, I think like this and I have my mortgage and my 401k and my very modernist post-enlightenment way of understanding storytelling and objective truth. And we just superimpose all of these things yes. without even stopping to think, how would any of this be read in an ancient context. The thing that probably rattles the most feathers, and I, I probably say it more often than I should, is that we have to remember that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And and that shift for people can be really uncomfortable. Like even, I don't want to get too snarky, but there's like certain verses, you know, that we, we love to kind of extract out of context, like, um, you know, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. We, you know, use those to kind of start off worship services I was talking about conflict like addressing sin in the community you know like mm -hmm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that was not like right before the big game he was talking about like contentment you know mm -hmm. like there's the and again if those verses give you some hope in this crazy world yep I'm for it yep however more often than not if we just read five verses before and after some of our favorite verses we realize yes. like oh I've been misunderstanding this in a profound way yes and I think that matters a hundred percent. The whole Christian Chotsky stuff is <laughs> wherever that come from. It, it should have. It's it's not helped anything. Yeah. Um, because it's made us look dumb. Mm. Like when you go out and talk to someone, you, we could just walk down the street right now and pick someone who um, who isn't a believer. You don't have to talk to that many people before they you you run across you start to run across people that that think we're kind of weird. Yeah. Because we have portrayed ourselves as really freaking weird. That's why. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why. And but I don't know that weirdness is totally a bad thing either. You know, like, like I think in Scripture we are called to be a peculiar people. You know, there's a certain level of like, ah, oh, that's you willingly give of this much of your money or your resources or like when Jesus says, don't just love those who love you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Praying for someone persecuting you will make you look weird. There's a weirdness that I think yes. we are called to. Uh, but, but we it's shouldn't the right be silly. Weirdness. But yeah. we shouldn't be silly. Totally. And we make ourselves look silly a lot. Yes. But I think the, I think the biggest, I think, the reason that it means so much to me to not, <clears throat> to properly understand the Bible. Which, by the way, I have not even the first clue. I don't have a theological degree. I don't, you know, I don't know if I just open up the Bible myself and start reading. I don't catch most of it. You know mm. what I mean? I don't even. So I need help with that. But yeah, thankfully, same. there's a lot of help out there, sure. so we can get this help. But if we can just agree that this is not just a bunch of words that you just read flatly and it's all specifically, literally, like you just take it at face value literally for the words. Mm. Um, I think that um, the reason that that matters so much to me is because if you just read the Bible flat and don't understand its layers and nuance and that it's written, you know, what it's really saying, mm. then you can use it for whatever ends that you want to use it for people have the bible has been weaponized more than any other collection of writings in the history of the world yes that that i mean that as christ followers should be heartbreaking yeah. the amount of things that have been justified mm -hmm. because of someone's interpretation of the word of god mm -hmm. so um how how should the everyday person i guess think about the bible informing their life i mean mm. 
you would you would believe that it is words that have been inspired by God. Yeah. And and as such, there is a a immeasurable truth to what it's really saying. Um that there's just a value there that if you're not reading it, then you're just you just you're missing you're missing out on too much. Is that how you would think about the Bible for the everyday person? I think that's a great way to put it. I would be remiss if I didn't also say I think all of this is best in the context of community. I think a lot of the wackadoo stuff that we see is like someone like every time I see some some internet theologian be like, I just discovered I'm the first to ever notice this interpretation of this verse. I'm like, that's probably not a good thing. Like you're, you're offering it as a strength. Like there's this whole body of tradition. And I'm not saying that every church father, every, obviously, you know, there's, you know, what, like 20,000 different Christian denominations worldwide that disagree. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something, it's something crazy, which, you know, could be its own (laughs) podcast for sure. But in the context of community, so we're reading scripture. We're asking, like, what are you seeing? I, I feel like this could be part of this. Like, I have to always be careful, even in preaching, to be careful how many times I will offer the etymology of a Greek word. Because if I do that too much in a sermon, the subtext is, you can't go read your Bible because you don't know Greek. You need to come and hear it from me. Mm-hmm. That is the opposite of what I ever want. Sometimes it's helpful, but I have to even mitigate how often I do that. And there are a lot of great resources out there. Like I think the Bible Project people are doing just some incredible work for helping people understand what, what is this thing. But if we're doing it in isolation, I think we're missing so much of the depth of what we were meant to be. And a lot of it's kind of back to the formation question. You know, we're doing a Bible reading plan as a church. And some of the weeks through Leviticus are rough. Like, yeah. what, what am I reading? Why is this? But it's kind of like a workout, though. Like, do you walk away from every workout feeling like, man, I crushed it? No. no. There's days where you walk away you're like, I don't think I moved the needle at all. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of like, you know, Paul says that scripture's God breathed. Uh, one interpretation I heard was that it's like, it's like breathed in the sense it's like wind in a sail. It like moves us forward. So even when we're reading these weird laws, you know, in Leviticus, like what am I supposed to, there might not be a one-to-one application every single day. We're like, oh, I had this aha moment. It's, no, I'm a person who is steeped in this because I believe to be the inspired word of God. And it also means that we grapple with the tension. Like mm-hmm. The same Bible that says, take up your cross and follow me, also says, be still and know that I am God. So like, which one is it? Is it, do I need to be doing things or do I need to be still? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? The answer yeah. is both. Yeah. And I think that we have unfortunately attempted to, to so sanitize and flatten like I think maybe one of the worst definitions of the Bible is that old acronym from Sunday school, um, basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. It kills me. Well, I haven't heard that one in a while. But think about like, I don't know. Have you, oh when was the last time you God. read the instruction manual on a toaster and was like yeah, inspired yeah. or mo- you know, it's so much more than that. When we flatten it to, I need a linear understanding and what my next kind of to go move is from this. I think we've attempted to make the Bible do or be something that it is not supposed to be. Yeah. There's probably even some eschatological problems with that statement too, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Um, but <laughs> you mentioned the Greek etymology and stuff. The um, There's a former pastor in Atlanta, John O., and he's, mm-hmm. I saw him say um, on Instagram, I think recently, that a pastor's job is not to get between God and people, but rather to make sure nothing else does. 
Ooh, that's good. good. No, that's that's pretty Shoot. good. He's smart. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think I only read maybe one his one of his books on prayer. But um, speaking of the layer and everything, the layers to scripture and the nuance and all of the things that are there that you just kind of miss if you read over it and don't study it. Um, Jordan Peterson has this uh, series on Exodus. Yeah. And I've watched like two episodes, maybe a little more than that. Two. They're like two hours long. They're kind of long. Wow. Um, I think there's eight parts each two hours and then okay. they're going to release another eight parts and um it's a very inter- it's a very cool format it's mm. him and six of like the most you know like the people with like the most like heads of universities and oh, like man. phds big old brains big yeah. old brains yeah. and <laughs> it's just the seven of them sitting around the table and they read they read some verses in Exodus and then they talk about it. And mm. I just didn't understand, I guess, that Exodus had so much to say about modern day life. Mm-hmm. And they're pulling it out and it's like, oh, okay, I, I, I thought this was just a story of the Israelites were in captivity and mm. they had to go out in the desert. But before you get to the promised land, you have to go through the desert. And and then how that actually can, that's kind of like a, that's kind of like an archetype. And my life has worked that way. And, you know, so it's, it's pretty fascinating to see mm. like layers and details and I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up uh, homeschooled, so a part of our curriculum was that we had to read through the Bible every year. Every year. Every year. That was just part of the, that was part of the curriculum. So, like, it is, it is such a joy as a pastor because I know, I know, this is not a brag, this was, like, forced on me. I know that I've read, I know that I've read it cover to cover multiple times, and that there's not a week that goes by that I'm not having some moment like, I don't remember that being in there or it's hitting uh-huh. you in a new way. You know, I'm a father now or since getting married, like that's the beauty of the word of God. Like I know that I read this and it is, it, it the Lord is like revealing something new to me in this. That's yeah. part of what the, I think the, the living, breathing part of it is like, yep. I know that I've technically read the, this sequence of words and for whatever reason in this new season, yeah, it's hitting me differently. It's yeah. convicting me differently. It's stirring in me differently. You know? that, but that's part of what it means to be a living word, right? That's right. Um, I want to critique my own, I guess, sort of culture uh, or tradition from within here, which I saw you say something to this too recently, and that's what triggered it. But it's, it's, it's definitely um, something I really resonate w- with, which is this idea of within, let's just call it, I guess if it's okay to, evangelical Christianity, which if someone who's not in that camp is listening they probably think that just means something about how we vote which is absurd (laughs) but anyhow within um i guess the the stream of christianity that i would generally locate myself in i mean within my environment like a lot of these things you don't even know if you're just a product of your environment i think we're probably all products of our environment way more than we like to think but anyhow i do think there's some objective um truth to the statement that Christians tend to be skeptical and I would say even negative about quite a lot. It Hmm. just seems like to be a knee jerk reaction. (laughs) Um, Like the first reaction to some things and the skepticism and the negativity, they're two separate things. I think on this, on the skepticism front, you know, you have something that, well, I think, um, I think the example you gave was the uh, Jesus commercial with the Super Bowl, which is a great example, yeah, you know? Right. And so I don't know anything about it. I happened to see the ad when it played. And, um, uh, but we, we broadly will tend to um, assume like maybe there's some foul motive or it's a little off yeah, or, right. you know, that's okay. So that's the, skept- the skeptical side. 
I have experienced that maybe, I guess for me personally, just because I'm not a theologian or it's less relevant to my day to day, I have, that doesn't bother me. I, I don't bump into that as much as I have negativity. Hmm. And on the negativity front, as I still can, I'm 38, I still consider myself a young man. Hmm. And look, if I am out of line, I want someone to tell me, okay? 100%. But I don't want to be beat up on the edges a hundred times a day about the little <laughs> nickel and dime stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like is, and it seems like the <laughs> Christian people are the best at that, mm-hmm. or, or the worst rather, because it sucks. Um, and it's like if someone does something, then, you know, there's, it just seems like, and I don't know why this is, because Christian people of all people, you would think, would be the least negative. Mm. Um, skeptical, I can see a better argument for that because we feel like we have an understanding of what's going on and how we got here and where we're going and how best, you know, this how best this life should work. I, I understand that. And so if something is counter to that, we would have, viewpoints on that and maybe some skepticism. So I sort of get that one. The negativity thing, I don't fully understand. Um, I've even wondered in, in, I don't, you know, maybe we we don't need to really get get into this too much, but I have wondered, like there are, there are a lot of churches out there and I would not put the church that we go to in this category at all. It's one of the things I really appreciate about it, but there's a lot of churches out there that tend to be more feminine. And I do not want, I want to be real careful and sensitive when I'm saying this, I'm not putting that in a look. My wife is the best person on earth. She's very feminine. Okay. But, um, there is such a thing as toxic femininity, probably, right? Like there's toxic masculinity. Let, let me put it this way. I have experienced negativity much more from sort of a, a feminine energy gone not so good than mm. I have from masculine energy gone not so good. Mm. So if I haven't successfully pissed off everyone at this point, I'm not, I don't even know if that's right. Okay. These are just thoughts. They're ramblings. I don't know where this comes from, but I do know for sure though, that there are a lot of, Christian churches where it is um, it tends to run on more the feminine energy where like where actually the women are sort of running the thing Mm. Um, and maybe you haven't experienced that but it is out there and um, but that is so I don't know if there's a tie-in with that like I might be in crazy town right now because uh, you, you know, if there's a tie into the negativity on that front or not. Yeah. But maybe there's nothing to that and that confused a whole lot of people. And I'm, I'm, I really, this is coming from a good place. Yeah. Like I, I really, I, I don't know, mm. but I, I do know that um, there are Christian circles that masculinity is not the driving force or, or, or the, there's not a, the leadership isn't coming from from that so much, and I also know that in a lot of Christian circles, just a lot of negativity, man. Yeah, yeah. So why is there so much negativity among the Christian people? Yeah, I know that the uh, I don't know if this is the tweet you're thinking of. It was at the same time I was seeing a lot of people, a lot of skepticism around the he gets us ads, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and the. Asbury revival around the same time. And for whatever reason, it was anecdotal. It was probably the snarkiest I've been on Twitter in a minute. Uh, Cause it was just uh, this tidal wave of opinions. Some people that hadn't seen it 
done no, no research. I was like, listen, I get it. I'm actually a naturally skeptical person. That's just sort of a default. I'm not, I'm not even proud of that. I'm just saying that's I'm very familiar with that posture. But if, if we are supposed to be a people of hope, like skepticism is not a fruit of the spirit. Now, the, what I think is important is that skepticism and discernment can often look very, very similar. I think of what Cornell West once said. I don't even know what he was asked, but I, I've always remembered his response. He asked him about something that was happening in culture, and they asked him if he was optimistic. And he said, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. Mm. I was like, I think that is such a beautiful distillation of how I often feel. Because I look at stuff in the world or even in the church or our church, and I'm like, I'm not optimistic, but because of the cross of Jesus, I'm hopeful. And that doesn't mean that we toss discernment out the window. Not at all. Like I've given my life to the preaching and teaching of the word. And that requires discernment. But the, you're right. The knee-jerk skepticism of anything that looks different than the way I think it should. I'm like, we're, it's, the, it's or often coming from the same voices that say things like the, the spirit of God is going to do what the spirit of God is going to do. You know, Jesus talks about the, we don't know where the wind's coming from, where it goes. Like that's one of the illustrations we're given of the spirit and yet we think, ah, if it doesn't look like the categories I've created, then it must be bogus. Sometimes they're right. This is the problem with skepticism. It's like the, what's the saying, uh, even a broken watch is right twice a day, you know? Uh -huh. If you just always land on skepticism, you're going to hit a bullseye every once in a while yeah. because stuff is going to go, and it only, like, further justifies. See, I called it. You're like, yeah, yeah but you were wrong the last 47 times just because you're, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just getting soft in my old age. I just think... A people of hope. I don't know that our default posture to anything should always be skepticism or discouragement or I don't it know. It does seem odd if we're a people of hope, doesn't it? Yeah. That does seem, there seems to be some incongruency there. And I don't want to, because I'm very pro discernment. Honestly, I think we need a lot more of it. But I just think biblical discernment and what we've kind of masqueraded as, you know, secretly, it's, it's really skepticism. It's weird when it's the same thing with like um, when scripture talks about judging, you know, we've created all this idea that like all judging is bad. Uh, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. Like scripture talks about like we are to judge in a discerning sense, not in a hierarchical sense or that you're less than like part of the role of someone who is alive to the spirit of God is to discern. Yeah, that's toxic. This is good. Uh, that's a false prophecy. That's a false teaching. That's rooted in the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, we, we'd be silly not to prioritize mm -hmm. biblical, godly, Holy Spirit-empowered discernment. It's the knee, You use the word knee-jerk. I think that's probably where I would anchor. Mm -hmm. That knee-jerk shows an instinct. I'm predisposed to assume this is bogus. Mm -hmm. That feels so counter-hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that God can do whatever he wants through whomever he wants. So for me to assume, like, that can't be of God because that kid's only 12. I'm sorry. We're going to we're going to preach on Sunday that he raised someone from the dead, but he can't speak through a kid or someone who looks or talks or acts or votes differently than I do. That to me feels like we're really picking yeah. and choosing which boxes and categories yeah. that we are. And again, I realize that we are storytelling creatures that are making sense of the world that we inhabit. And that's probably a lifelong process. You know, like when Paul says, I don't understand why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I keep doing. I get that most days of the week. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I take some comfort in that. Yeah. So there's grace for all of it. I just yep. think, man, now more than ever, I don't, I don't know.
I feel like sometimes the world needs our ears more than our mouth. Sure. <laughs> our sure. listening more than our speaking. And I just, when we jump to this thing happened 12 seconds ago and I'm a Christian leader and I have to have an opinion about it. Yeah. Like that might not actually be the most helpful thing right yeah. now. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I think on the negativity front, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm, one thing that could be said about that that would help is the idea of just picking your battles. Mm. You know, because I guess as a young man, I feel like I have experienced a lot like, okay, it's great you were meeting with that dude to study the Bible, but next time don't don't do it over beers or oh sure, you know, um, you know that that I, that was great, but did you really have to say what the hell or mm. and that's it's the nickel and dime stuff, yeah. and I don't hear that. This is, I guess, what I'd really like to say on it is I don't get the nickel and dime stuff from my friends at CrossFit Forte mm. like I do in the Christian circles. Mm. Well, some of them are Christians, too, but not all of them. Sure. But in general, I don't get nickel and dime there like I do among Christian circles. And as a young man, getting nickel and dimed, it gets old really quick. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> is it what is it about the Christian faith that seems to cause people to nickel and dime. Am I making any sense at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if, I, if I'm if i giving a, a, a gracious reading to what you're saying, uh, a charitable reading, I think probably a lot of it comes from a good place. I even think about, um, well, let's circle back to Sabbath. You know, we have this kind of this explanation in Genesis 2 that like in six days he created on the seventh he Sabbath, right? It's an invitation. What a gift. Uh, fast forward a few hundred years and the Pharisees have sort of like sucked all the fun out of it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and they've not put all these other parameters around, you know, right. Maybe you've even heard stories right. about in, and even like modern day Israel, there's places where like, uh, on Sabbath, the elevators stop on every floor. So you don't push a button to work on the Sabbath. Is that true? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 To this course to the yes, yes yes i was gonna i was about to be like is that how yeah. it was and then, yeah you ancient know what? elevators they didn't yeah. have elevators back then you dummy but there's even there's even like writings of like uh pretty pretty strict expressions where you were not allowed to spit on the sabbath because if you spit wow. it could create mud and mud was used to make bricks and bricks are a tool of production you know what i mean like i think again if i'm being okay. charitable some of that comes from a good place because it's saying okay god commanded this so how do we put as many fences around it so we do not break what God said is right. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times what feels like nick nickeling and diming, if I could, if that's a verb, uh, for someone who's like trying to so seriously adhere to what they believe God has commanded them and how to live, then it's almost instinctual. Like, you know, you have to pick apart anything that doesn't align with what they perceive to be the good life, the flourishing life, shalom, or however you want to talk about it. I think an uncharitable reading would be, I'm uncomfortable with my own sin, so it's helpful for me to poke at yours so I don't have to think about mine. Uh -huh. and, and maybe both are true at various different, because it is yeah. worth noting, like the, okay, so the example of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, which by the way, what a terrible, the very fact that that is how we talk about it. What about the man caught in adultery? Like it's, you know, that's a whole other discussion. These religious people caught them in the act. That's creepy, right? No one, no one ever talks about the religious leaders are like, wait, why were you, why were you so that's dialed into this in the first place? And yeah, so Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about it. I'm a God of grace. It's all good. He says, who, who condemns you? Look around. They're all gone. Neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. It's compassion 
and conviction. And I think when we when we tip those scales in either direction, it's it's grace and truth. It, you know what I mean? Like it it is a both and. And I think when those when that gets out of whack, our methodology tends to be the most skewed. Mm-hmm. So if it's just all grace all the time, God doesn't matter, or God doesn't care what you do. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that's not loving. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm I'm gonna hold your feet to the flame for every every nickel and dime, every misstep. Oh, you're speeding. You're three miles over the speed limit. Like you know, that's also maybe missing the plot a little bit. And I think that that finding that balance. And we're all going to be predisposed to, you know, we all have different personalities and different families of origin. And there are going to be, there's reasons for a lot of that, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are probably trying to shed one or both version of that. Yep. But when that gets out of whack, man, you can you can spot it from a mile away, I think. Yeah, yep. Okay, so, <laughs> since we just, since I probably just really pissed off, we may as well just continue down this track. I want to ask you something that I do want to... I just want to say at the beginning that I want to be really sensitive to this. It is a legitimate question that comes from an honest place. I'm not trying to make a judgment or mm. on on anything. I'm again, I consider myself a young man. I want to do what's I'm I'm curious about this, but one of the things that I have noticed in the last couple of years with the pandemic is people some what people that I would consider having some amount of spiritual authority, mm. leveraging that spiritual authority to drive behaviors that seem to be um, in the areas of public health. Mm. You know, I'm particularly ref- I'm referring to COVID sure. and the stuff that, I mean, it was hard on churches, right? Yeah. Um, churches really took a tool from COVID man. Um, and, and, and then I guess it was the, in particular, the, like the, um, when the vaccine was coming out and there was just kind of this just, you know, full push for everyone to get the vaccine and everything. And I do not care who has the vaccine and who does not have the vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, but I did notice some people with influence um, using that influence to drive action related mm. to the vaccine. And then as it turns out, it didn't do exactly what it was said to do. And, and it's whatever. How do you think about that? Is that a good, the reason, let me tell you this also, the reason I'm asking, I feel comfortable asking you about this because I have no idea, you know, how you guys <laughs> navigate it. I don't have any clue how you personally navigated this. Sure. Um, is it the type of thing where if you feel like, look, this is for the common good and, and you know, you have influence as a pastor and you can leverage that influence to drive behavior and, and is that fine or is it the type of thing that should only be done if people are pretty sure it's going to turn out well? Or mm. h- how do you think about that? Like, what are the boundaries to spiritual authority when it comes mm. to public health? Well, first off, so the name of the radio show in Chicago was The Common Good. Ah, so okay. I, f- I felt like when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, a little, little asterisk there. Well done. Uh-huh. Uh, I also moved from Chicagoland to Middle Tennessee in March 2021. And at the time, those were two totally different planets, you know, at like, the time they still are. Bro. That's true. That's true. Touche. <laughs> Touche. But especially then though, my last oh. Sunday in Chicago was our first Sunday back in person at church at all. So then I come down here. Ho- hold on one second. Yeah. Um, March of 2021. Yep. Was your first service back in person. That's right. In Chicago. Yeah. Wow. About a year later. Yeah. I think it was 51 weeks. Oh, ah. But you know what? It's it's something that I forget pretty easily. Living in Middle Tennessee is like that was that was the case for a lot of people, like in New York, That's LA, right. in particular, Chicago. Oh, yeah. A lot um, of the city centers. 
Yeah, you're right. So even yeah. that, I feel like it took me a while to kind of get my equilibrium back because it just mm -hmm. felt so different than my lived reality. Mm -hmm. And now, and now, you know, when you're making new friends, your like news feed is divided between Illinois and Tennessee, and so you're <laughs> seeing really smart people disagree on things. People yeah. whose whose intellect I trust, whose spiritual discernment I trust. I keep coming back to that. That smart, intelligent, faithful, humble, spiritually grounded people disagree on the best way forward in a complicated world. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to keep coming back to that to remind yeah. myself, like, this whole straw man thing that we're seeing all the time now, like, this presentation of what the other side believes so I can easily decimate it is so uncharitable. And yeah. I think a practice that for Christ followers in particular is deplorable. Like... If that, if the opposing argument that you're presenting, if no one on that side would agree with it, then that's not a helpful, mm -hmm. that's not a helpful discourse. I also think one of the things we lost among many things, and this is not even in the top 10 of the list, I feel like we lost a lot of nuance. You know, I feel like um, a word that the bridge has used for a long time that I appreciate is winsome. How can we be a winsome faithfulness, uh, a winsome presence so that, yeah, someone who's, who's never been a church, someone who's been a Bible thumper or someone who's like not even really sure what to make of any of this. Uh, I think with COVID, it was like, if you're open, you're this. If you're closed, you're this. Mm -hmm. If you're wearing a mask, you're this. If you're not wearing a mask, you're this. And everything yeah. just became so categorically black and white. And I don't think we're better for it, man. Yeah. I think that that's been, because personally, and I don't know if this is controversial to say, I want the whole spectrum to be a part of our church. Yeah. I want yeah. every end of Absolutely. the political, religious, I want, I want them not only attending our church, I want them in each other's homes, breaking bread. Yes. I want their kids to know each other. I want. I think we're better for it. Is that way harder? Yes. Homogenous tribalism is so much easier. You kind of look around the room and like, do we all look and talk and act and think and vote exactly the same? Good. Next. Like, mm -hmm. that's cleaner. I totally understand the appeal. That, in my mind, is not how the kingdom of God works. So part of what I, I lament about people making assumptions, like, if you did this, you're that. If you didn't do this, you're that. Everything got so hyper-categorized, mm -hmm. and you did. You're right. I think you saw a lot of people abuse platforms. I don't think that's a new thing. Right. I think COVID certainly exacerbated it, or at the very least, it was like a common, unified subject matter that we were all facing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think part of the role of the pulpit, I think a lot of it comes from a, a philosophy of preaching, you know, because I know plenty of people, pastors who would say, I don't ever want to give you any insight at all how to live your life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is the classic example of the house built on rock or sand. There's a line that everyone always seems to skip over where he says, the wise man who hears these words is the one who hears these words and puts them into practice. Yeah. So there is some behavior that is expected of the Christ follower. It's not just think about these things or intellectually agree to them, or feel them in your heart, as good as all those things are. The way of Jesus is exactly that. It's also a, a way. It's a way of living in the world. Mm -hmm. So I do think, in some sense, part of the role of the preacher is to expand our imagination for what would it look like to live this gospel reality out in the world. I think when it becomes about partisan politics, um, yeah, or even in terms of, I mean, to your original question about public health, that gets really, really tricky. Yeah. And I think that, I think it, there probably was some overextending and maybe even some underextending. We're like, yeah, you I, have I, some I responsibility agree. here as a yep. shepherd of this community. Yep. 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 No doubt about it. I think, um, over that time I had 
I had, well, still have. I mean, I have very smart friends who are very into health and chose not to get the vaccine when it came out. Sure. And then when they saw some of the, you know, people with spiritual sort of influence and authority um, coming out with some opinions on whether they should or should not, they felt a little ostracized. Hmm. And then, you know, if it, if it, look, I think at the end of the day, like we are a brand, right? Like there's only one Ian Simpkins. There's only one Kent Lapp. Hmm. And so, and words matter. So if you say things that maybe don't work out for the best, then you lose a little credibility. And like, is it worth losing credibility Mm. in areas that have nothing to do with spirituality? Sure. Because man, that's a, that, that matters far more, you know, than whether you're wearing a mask right now or not, you know, man. And and that's the, gosh, that this, cause this is a whole can of worms. Spirituality too. I think it's worth noting is not, is not disembodied though. Yeah. So there is a certain, we are integrated beings. So this idea of, we could go down a whole rabbit trail. Like I don't, I don't even really know that the new Testament speaks of supernatural behavior as a category because like the kingdom of God is here mm-hmm. and not yet. It's, it's, it's how we're taught to pray right on earth as it is in heaven. There's a, a, a mysterious connection. So like, yeah, spirituality is like only where my soul goes when I yeah. die. It has no um, impact on my, on my marriage or my, how I spend my money or my time. It's that kind of like I'll fly away, oh glory yeah. theology. Like I don't think that's uh, accurate or helpful. It's that fine line. It really is kind of the third way of Jesus stuff. Like yeah, the yeah. the gospel does have should have real life implications to how I actually live my life. Does that look like partisan politics? Probably not. Uh-huh. But are there actual, like, I, you know, and maybe this is a, a safer category, but we've been talking on a series on Sabbath right now, and it's, um, I said on Sunday, I was like, I, I don't think a lot of you are getting the sleep that you should. Ah, yeah. But that's yeah. arguably, that's a public health statement, sure. sort of, in a much safer, more benign category. But it's also inarguable. That's true. <laughs> that's so true. I think that's that's what you have going for you on that yeah, statement. That's fair. <laughs> I just don't want to make it sound like, oh, I never speak to people's physicality because I'm only about spiritual things. Like, I love that. You know what I mean? That's I love a, that's that. a helpful. Yes, I get that, and I love that so much because isn't the Christian faith one of the? Look, I don't know enough about the word religion to say this, but it, it not all of them have the cohesiveness of the intangible and the tangible, right? Yeah, like yeah. this was, wasn't it the Greeks that were, or who was it that back in the day were like, you know, the body is um, evil, but the, the spiritual is the Gnostics good. that, yeah. Okay. That, and look, w- w- we would believe like there is a, there's an integration, right? The body's not evil. This is, this is good. If the body was evil, then why would Jesus come in the form of one? Mm. The incarnation dignifies human bodies as valuable and important. You know what I mean? Like there's so much about the incarnation that Protestants in particular do not have a robust theological grounding in. And I think really? it's, uh, I don't think so. There's okay. There's been a lot more like maybe Eastern Orthodox and Catholic writing on a, on a specific theology of the body. I think we have a long way to go, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. We tend to kind of toss out things like, uh, shouldn't get tattoos because your body's a temple. I'm like, have you ever seen a temple before? They look tattooed. Like they look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they I look great. <laughs> but it, tend, it tends to stop at like, ah, you shouldn't. Yeah, tattoos and drinking. Are, that's like yeah. the extent of our theology of the body. But I, it's part of why I think, I mean, this is all kind of full circle. It's why I have a, a, a pretty strong conviction around a theology of presence. Like my art, when someone's, like if you were suffering, my instinct to want to like ease your suffering, I think comes from a good place. But often what happens is I will offer sanctimonies and platitudes when what you actually need is just like a friend to weep with you. Yeah. That's, that's rooted in incarnational theology. It's a statement that says, man, my physical presence with you actually matters. Even if I can't offer any solutions or any hot takes or application steps, like mm -hmm. simply being together. And I think yes. it's so much of what we have felt in absence. People feel so isolated and alone and every and pastors tend to be the worst at this by the way mm. you know barna and outreach and, and uh, organizations like them every year we'll do surveys on like the loneliness statistics of pastors it's abysmal every year really? so, yeah something like 75 percent have zero to one close confidants well like no wonder then mm. pastors are having all these crises and marriages falling apart and sure. crumbling identities because like we, like we don't even know how to do this yeah that's yeah. a that's a problem, and yeah. that comes from a theology of the body that I think is yep. is deeply needed. No doubt. Are you? And it's totally cool if you're not, because I know there. I know people have different opinions on this, and all, I know people that have different opinions on like where this all goes, like the future, like eschatology, and they're all very well educated, very smart. I respect all. You know. I respect at least one person from each of the different kind of view camps on yeah. like where this is going. I'm That's just fair. curious. Are you comfortable saying like how you, Ian <laughs> Simpkins, like if you had to guess, you know, based on your understanding. Like, and real quick before you do, can we move your car real quick? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Cool. Oh, you want me to is, move it? Is there anything you got? You want to give him the key? Yeah. I, it's are a you stick comfortable? Shift. Oh, wait, I can do that real quick. Oh, cool. We can man. run stick All shift. Right. Shoot, all right. Mariana can drive stick shift too, if you she didn't can. know that. Right Absolutely. On. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, there's not that many stick shift cars anymore, man. Oh, man. I a got pickup a little pickup truck. It's not. I wish. It's it's a Kia Rio. It is. And it's stick shift. Uh huh. I got huh. so much money off of it because nobody wants to buy stick shift. Uh huh. It's also like the best <laughs> anti theft device. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No That's one even knows point. how to steal it. Yeah. They can't. <laughs> That's funny. Roll that bad boy downhill. <laughs> right, right. As, as far as you're going to get. Nobody wants it. Yeah. Even in uh, big trucks now, like 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 heavy-duty pickup trucks, stick shifts are just not as popular as it used to be. They're making those automatic transmissions so good now. I guess. Oh, that was a thing, though, in my family. My my dad in particular, my, he's like, my children will learn how to drive stick shift. Oh, really? So you learned. Oh, yeah. yeah. I learned it was not the first car, but we had vehicle, we had trucks for work that were stick shift. Yeah, right. Very quickly. Yeah. And that was always their rationale, too. Like, if you're ever in a bind, there's a situation where <laughs> you're at a party and the buddy that drove you there needs to go to the hospital okay. and he drove us, like, it was all about being equipped. If you, yeah. if you don't know how to drive a stick, then, yeah. which now is almost... <laughs> Because who else drives a stick? I don't yeah. even know anyone that drives yeah, a stick. Yeah, dude, when, he said, when you said that, I'm like, man, I haven't bumped into someone who's driving a stick in a long time. But the great thing about stick shift is, bro, if your battery runs out and you can roll that sucker down the hill, yes. you can start it and get home. That's absolutely That's right. That's real magic man. that those automatic <laughs> transmissions don't have. It makes me feel better about driving a purple car. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> you can't be left set because of a battery. Yeah. If you can, if you can <laughs> right. roll it. I feel at least a little bit of the cool factor. I'm like, at least it's a stick shift. It's, yeah. you know, the size of this table, but it's... Yeah. Uh, I had a uh, I had a uh, 1995 Volvo S70. Yes. T, I think it was T T5. I don't even know what the five stood for, but it was stick shift, and it was um, it wasn't supercharged, or was it? Um, no, it wasn't supercharged. It had a turbo on it. It whistled. No, and that little sucker. It was a four <laughs> four uh, four door white. Uh, Volvo S70 T5. Heck yes. And uh, that little thing was fast. It was surprisingly fast because it was four-door, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't look like a sports car, But when and it was stick shift. It was five-speed, and that thing moved, man. And that was fun. That was fun driving. Um, it really the, is. Yeah, a fast one. But uh, the, I did make a mistake, though. I had a... Um, a Camaro, what year? In '87, oh, Camaro, Irox Z. No, this dude. I got this thing for twenty five hundred dollars in Michigan. Out. Get out! Yeah, and and um, it, it was rusty and everything, but it had T tops on it, yes. and uh, I put a sound system in there. Of course, of course you did. And uh, it's. I took Mariana home one time uh, from an event we were at before we were dating. I had the T tops down. I had some newsboys playing, bro. Yeah. She. Uh, I took her back to her Amish house in this thing. And um, was she Amish? Yeah, she grew up Amish. She was Amish until she was sixteen. And the love story of a Mennonite yeah, guy and an yeah. Amish woman. Yes, yeah, but also that when I went to see her when we were dating, I would literally drive from Himrod, New York, to Gap, Pennsylvania, four hours on a um, on a Yamaha R6. Come on, yeah, and I would pull into this Amish driveway on my crotch rocket and park it in the Amish barn for the weekend. They didn't really like it if I rode it around during the weekend, but sure. they didn't care if I got there on it and got home on it. <laughs> and um, I would I would leave uh, Gap, Pennsylvania at like 10.30 p.m. was the earliest. Usually it was like 11 p.m. or midnight, and mm. I would get home at somewhere between 2 and 3 or sometimes 4 a.m. And Man. on a motorcycle, not just any motorcycle, crotch rocket. Yes. I mean, I'm just happy that I'm alive, to be <laughs> honest. I, I do not recommend it. But on that on that Camaro, again, yeah, it's not it's not rubbing in because the thing was 2500 bucks. I mean, but it was automatic, and I'd always wanted it to be six-speed, uh-huh. and, and I made the mistake of putting a six-speed in it, and it caused problems pretty much ever since. Really? That's, that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, anyhow, what's your assessment on where things go how the how the how do we transition from where we are now to the new heavens and the new earth? Oh, that's a great question. Is it a cop out to say just whatever N.T. Wright says about it? I mean, that's uh, he's done some of the, I think the best theological work of new heavens and new earth and what that yeah. looks like. And what's that book he did? Um, uh, that book N.T. Wright on Paul or N.T. Yeah, Wright? Got no, no, no. A, uh, a bunch. It's about heaven. N.T. Wright. Can you Google real quick? Um, Hope. (laughs) Shoot. I read it. It's really, really good. Just put in N.T. Wright on eschatology book. On earth as in heaven? Nope. Nope. That's a good one. Hope. uh, hope, um, Surprised by hope. Yes. 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 Required reading. Surprised by hope. Required reading. Agreed. Simply Jesus is up there. Anything by N.T. Wright. Okay. Yeah. So you would be in that sort of Mm -hmm. vein of belief. I'm not saying that I'm an Anglican necessarily. Okay. But <laughs> maybe some Anglican flavor some, uh-huh. somewhere in the recesses of my brain. I don't. But that's the thing. I'm like a theological mutt, man. Okay. That's the other strange thing about coming to the Bible Belt is that I have next to no denominational loyalty. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. like we'll have. I had a moment on Sunday, 
and we weren't talking about eschatology necessarily, but uh, it was like out of a sitcom, man, because one guy came up to me, and it was after the services, and he said, bro, I am so grateful that you are so clearly reformed for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And he gave me a big hug, and he walked away. Literally, the next guy walks up and goes, man, I'm so glad that you are so clearly not reformed uh, for this reason, this reason, and this reason. No way. Gave me a hug and walked away. And I was like, wow. I've confounded everybody. No, yeah. That's kind of what I meant by the winsomeness, though. Like, I feel like we lost so much of that with COVID. Yeah. We're like, when people tell me, like, it's hard to tell who you voted for. I'm like, that's by design. Like, that's... um, Yes, intentional refreshing i don't i don't want to be you have to still have convictions i think that's the that's the double-edged sword sometimes you can be so winsome they're like okay at some point yep you need to land somewhere on something yep. that's yep. A, that is the burden of leadership yes you don't have if you don't want to that's fine but leadership requires something different there will be times will i will have to stand in front of our church and say i think this is the direction the lord is leading us i think we need to stop doing this start doing this yeah that's yeah. part of it you know yep yeah, those Anglicans, man, they, they're getting their hooks kind of a little bit in everywhere know, now, it seems I like. I know, yeah. man. I love that. But I, look, I'm a total dummy, so I don't know about this stuff. But reading um, Surprised by Hope and then looking into that more, just that sort of view of how things may progress, to me personally, is just like, it's like the highest and best use. Like, it's what I secretly hope happens. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, like I said, I know people have differing opinions and and at yep. the end of the day, you know, I don't know that it really matters that much, but I don't know. We don't need to get into it. Sometimes I think maybe, you know, maybe it matters more than we like to think sometimes. Yeah. Um, but um, anyhow. Jesus is coming but back. That's what I yes. mean. You yes. Know what I mean? And that, we will spend eternity together with him and with each other, right? With those who put their trust in him. That's paramount yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I was raised on, you know, left behind stuff too. So like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that that's probably still click clacking around somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, ultimately, there's so much that I, I, I just don't know is even might not even be for us to know. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, that's right. So I'm gonna keep yes. living like he's gonna return for sure. Um, what do you think is an important but often overlooked or underappreciated aspect to the flourishing of the modern American male? Oh, men in particular? Yeah, men in particular. I'm a man, and, yeah. you know, we we never know how to describe this podcast, but the way we're describing it now is it's about, like, mindset, method, meaning, and men's health and men's health and more. Yeah. So what I like about having men's health in there, like, so on the nose, is, like, I get to ask a question specifically. Well, like this question right here. You yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's for two reasons. One, because I'm a dude, so that's just my... Yep. And also because I think, like... I think it's a tough it's a tough world right now for dudes, mm. at least in America. Sure, um, it's I don't know that it's it's a condition for flourishing, mm. um, and it doesn't need to swing the other way. That would be weird, but mm. but I think I think that it's it's yeah, it's tough to flourish right now as a dude. I, I think. Sure, I think it's probably tough for everybody. I think I agree with that. I think what I would say, I actually just shared this on Sunday, which felt a little raw, um, but I talked about. You know, growing up, I had a real anger problem, mm. and and I don't I don't think it's totally licked. I think it's one of the things that the Lord has slowly chipped away in my life. Is what got me into drums. It was part of my uh, part of my segue. There was like I needed an outlet, you oh, know. Cool. And people and some of the advice that people had given me before I discovered drums was like, you should journal your feelings. And I'm like, that's not going to work for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I need to let my dad had a punching bag. Like drums was like, I need, I don't, I couldn't describe what I needed. I just knew that like, 
I hadn't found it. And uh-huh. this like constant, I remember just feeling angry a lot. Um, well, Colby gets that. I'm sure he's a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I liked you. Shoot. <laughs> I just know there are a couple of things that we probably have already talked about. I know that for me, um, there's just so much ingrained workaholism in me that things like Sabbath have been almost like a rebellion to the God of workaholism for me. Like Ian, you are not the sum of your accomplishments. That is one of the, I have to constantly remind myself of that. I am far more, you are far more than the best or worst things you've done or left undone. All of that accomplishment mindset thing. I'm finding the more I talk about it, there are a lot of other men who feel that. That oh, I, I, resonate with that for I sure. am only the sum of what I can do. Therefore, if I'm not doing, I'm a waste. And that has led yep. me to some really unhealthy places. I'm sure other people can understand that. So like to try and find the ways that stand against this notion that, and not obviously like I, I think as a husband, as a father, like it is a joy and a privilege to like provide for my family. I think that that's a deeply beautiful, sacred thing. I also know the shadow side of that. That's exactly, that's of course how the enemy would work. Right, like take this beautiful thing and then say, "Yes, and you need to do this all the time, ninety hours a week." And if you're not accomplishing, if you're not achieving or producing, then you're nothing. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, the workaholism thing. Another thing that I feel like is um, just when I anecdotally interacting with dudes, we're just so distracted. I, I would argue maybe the greatest threat to Christianity right now is not atheism; it's distraction. We are we are so pulled in so many different meaningless directions, like distracted Christ followers is such a, it's a problem and it's like such a easily missed problem because it doesn't feel as flashy as, you know, apostasy or, you know what I mean? And those things matter too. And I know that at a global level, it also causes um, internal change. Whereas, you know, you can look at like, okay, what they're saying out there isn't right or atheism, you know, it's it's out there, but distractions in here. That's a problem. (laughs) It's harder. It's way, it's way harder. I think the third thing too, and we touched on this ironically, I think is isolation. You know, I just, um, there's a men's group that meets at our church on Wednesdays. I love this group so much. So they all have kids in the student ministry. And uh, one of the guys, we dropped off his kid and then he went to go kind of wait in the car for youth group to get over. And he noticed there was like five or six other dads also just sitting in their cars. He's like, if we're all just here in the parking lot for the hour and a half, why don't we start a Bible study? And I mean, I could spend another hour talking about this group because like they've, they've witnessed miracles. They've seen like such cool life change. And so I kind of poked in last night just to kind of chat with them for a little bit because it was at the building Mm -hmm. and the way that these men talked about, I did not realize how much I needed like consistent biblical community with other men where I could actually just be honest about my struggle, about my demons, about like, I didn't have to be on, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think everyone struggles with that to some degree, but for whatever reason, I think men in particular, that step is really mm-hmm. terrifying. Mm-hmm. And maybe we wouldn't say terrifying because that feels too vulnerable. It's really difficult. And we, yes. we will maybe agree to do small group and we'll attend diligently, but never actually yeah. go below, yeah. below the line of shame the way is, is the way we talk about it. Um, men in particular, I feel like if we, don't, if we don't put some gas on that fire, we're in trouble. I just know that. I, I I look back at the seasons where I was most unhealthy. It's almost always some combination of workaholism, distraction, isolation. Yeah. Almost every time. Huh. Do you think the workaholism comes from 
sort of is it a negative byproduct of our capitalist society and sort of a and sort of an like a it's just going to happen right like Hmm. you know it's almost like a well I was going to say a feature not a bug but that's not exactly right but you know I don't know I don't know you could really have a cap and by the way I'm a fan like I think in terms of capitalism socialism communism capitalism's better um but it's not perfect, yeah. You know, I mean, it would be a it would be a logical outcome of that, right? Sure. Yeah. There's a. Uh, this is how I would answer that. Um, I think it all comes down to desire. So, like the uh, Ecclesiastes again. I've never referenced Ecclesiastes as much as I have in this conversation. It's by the way, great book though. The so good. There's a line, and I think it's Ecclesiastes one, eight, something like, "The eye never has its fill of seeing, and the ear never its fill of hearing," or something like that. It's sort of the. Um, Thomas Aquinas was once asked, what would it take to satisfy human desire? Mm-hmm. His answer was everything. I think of like the yeah, Rockefeller when he was, yeah. um, you know, at, at Rockefeller's peak, he was the wealthiest man in the world or America or something. And I remember a reporter asking him once, um, like, John, how much is enough? And his answer was so haunting. He said, just a little bit more. Yeah. We now know that's exactly how our brains work. You know, Sean Aker did this TED talk years ago on the, it's called the, science of happy or something like that. Not a Christian dude, but essentially the whole talk is about how we have existed for centuries with this idea that like, here's the goalpost of success. And if I could just achieve that, then I will be at peace. Then I will have enough. I will be enough. And he spent 20 minutes talking about that's not how our brains work. And we all know this instinctually. He had, but he had the data to back it up that once we cross that finish line and achieve what we think will result in happiness, your brain just moves the goalpost. Yes. You know, if it's a dollar amount for you or square footage or a life stage or a platform or not, whatever it is, it satisfies for about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like I love, there's this quote from Jim Carrey that I, I've used so much. And he says something like, I wish everyone could accomplish all of their hopes and dreams so that they can finally know that it's not the answer. Yeah. Like here's a guy who's like, I literally checked every box. I literally did everything I'd ever set out to do and hoped and dreamed of. I got there. It didn't satisfy. Wow. That to me is a clearer picture. Uh, to me, it, I, it almost has nothing to do with capitalism or socialism. It's about this, well, that's a good this point. desire. That's a good point. It will be there regardless. Yeah. It's Augustine who says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I just, I've, I have found that to be so profoundly true in my life. That that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I asked that. Hmm. Um, what do you think is one currently uh, culturally accepted, culture, you know, like current cultural practice that's accepted that history is not going to look back on fondly? Boy. 100 years from now, they look back on 2022 and be like, whoa, or 23. <laughs> <laughs> be like... You know what they? You know they're doing. They had a, they had a lot, but wow, they had no idea. Hmm. This one area, like they just all thought it was how it was, and they had no idea how wrong they were on that one thing. Anything come to mind? Yeah, a bunch of things come to mind. I I think one. I was reading this book recently about um, the shift in the modern in American culture from the front stoop to the back patio. How historically, at least in city centers, it was almost common practice to come home from work and you put your briefcase down and then you'd sit on the front stoop and you would connect with all your other neighbors. And then we slowly migrated to the backyard where we put up 
taller and bigger fences and where historically maybe we had two lawnmowers per block that we all shared and we had a grit like now everyone has their own lawnmower, their own grill. We drive right into our garage, close it behind us, <laughs> right? Yeah, and live our little life and then we Absolutely. do the same thing. So yep. I, I think 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, whatever your question was, I think people will be baffled at our level of isolation. Uh, like you didn't, you, you didn't know your neighbors at all? You didn't know... You're like, well, no, I didn't. It didn't even cross my mind. I think when you think of like even the, the early church, there's these beautiful writings from people who hated Christians, who were not fans of the Jesus movement, documented, writing things like these impious Galileans care not only for their own poor, but ours as well. Like Christians did not have stages and websites and platforms. They had their generosity and their care for one another. And I would argue that was one of the main reasons it spread like wildfires. It was like they see all of their resources as a gift on loan to them from God that they're to steward in the world. I think we're seeing a major inversion of that where it's like me and mine, um, which I'm not, I mean, again, you know, provide for your family, protect whatever. But there is a very real isolation towards the needs of, of the other, a misunderstanding of the other. I think a lot of that has to do with our constant, connection to all of the world's problems is making it really difficult for us to process any of them so we have this like globalized connection and yet we don't know how to actually meet at the table you know like there's yeah. we don't know how to just break bread and disagree agreeably and like love people who look and talk and act and think differently than we do but I have a million opinions about what's happening across the ocean and I need everyone to know it. Yeah. That's a very new phenomenon. And I, and I don't know that we're balancing that well. And I yeah. think, I hope at some point we see that for what it is. And that's not saying don't be interested in global affairs and blah, blah, blah. I just think that's so new. We don't really know the effects of constant screens, constant dialed in, got to have an opinion. If you don't have an opinion, uh, silence is complicity. Like all of it, yeah. you know, like it's insatiable. Yeah. And I don't, know that it's leading to flourishing for most of us. Mm -hmm. That is a pretty interesting phenomenon when you think about it. Um, well, let's uh, let's end this thing before the power cuts out and we lose <laughs> all of the audio and the video. We There's something we, I didn't think of until we were, were going to record. And we're like, you know, if this, if power cuts out, are we going to, is this video going to, the audio would be saved, but how about the video? So oh, yeah. we took the risk. Um, Dude, I laughed out loud when Pam texted me because to see if you wanted to come. Because for those listening, there is uh, thunderstorms. And there's like a three out of five chance of heavy winds, uh, tornado, and hail starting at two p.m. Uh -huh. And you're coming up from Columbia, dude. <laughs> Good grief, man! And um, you know, I wanted to give you an out, you know, because if you're up here and it starts to get crazy, and you, you know, in the back of your mind, you're wondering if your family's okay and the drive home and everything. And Pam texted and said, "You literally said." I'm from the Midwest. This is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. Dude, tornadoes scare me, bro. I'm from upstate New York. We didn't have them. That's right. So they scare me. But, hey, thank you very much for driving up here. Thank Dude. you for taking the time. Um, thank you for, you know, sharing your your thoughts with us. This was really, really great. I really, really enjoyed it. So man. thank you very much. Likewise. I, truly, it was an honor, man. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the invitation. Yeah. Anything you want to say in closing? Are we good? No, man, I'm just grateful for you. Keep doing what you're doing. This is yeah. important. Well, likewise. Thank you again Thanks, very man. much. Appreciate it. Likewise, brother. See you guys. Try to catch me howling at the moon.